0: Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host Liam Edwards and I welcome you to the 15th episode of the show. My guest today is probably the first one on the show who openly admits his absolute detest for most video games, which will certainly make today's episode very interesting. He's a veteran of the games media side of the industry, having spent over three years working at Imagine Publishing, whereas as a staff writer and then senior staff writer, he graced magazines such as GamesTM, Now Gamer, X360 and Play with his contrarian opinion. Now, for the past three years, he's been one of the solid unit that is Video Gamer. Working as the Reviews and Features Editor, he's created numerous videos on some quite serious stuff, but mostly daft stuff, such as the best nut shots in video games, or the biggest despots in video games. If you're a regular viewer of video game TV, then you'll also know him as Burns, the rich and evil arch-nemesis of Miller, in the Miller Report. My guest today is the piss-boiler himself, Mr. Steve Burns. Hello, Steve!
1: Hello. I'm glad to be here. I'm also glad that I got a demotion back to my old job. (laughs) Did uh, did Tom Ori tell you to bust me down from deputy editor back to reviews and features when he found out that was going on here? Do you
0: know what? That's This is entirely your fault. You've not updated your LinkedIn profile, my friend. Oh,
1: listen, listen. No one. LinkedIn. (laughs) I think I made that. I left Imagine and I uh, I made that thing just because at that point I was like, well, I should probably get another job. (laughs) and then I just never updated it again you know what I I went on there the other day so I was like shit I've not been on this for for literally years had a job offer in there (laughs) from from another gate from a games magazine I was like that's probably not gonna happen
0: (laughs) (laughs) when was it from like 2013 or something
1: uh, it was from the back end of uh, last year. Okay, so. so not
0: too bad. So the offer's probably still on the table.
1: <laughs> uh, I am not sure. <laughs> I probably just think I'm even more of an arsehole. than uh...
0: <laughs> Well, LinkedIn's you my just... secret secret weapon when it comes to finding out <laughs> these intros for people. We'll, so, we'll, it's entirely we'll your split fault.
1: The blame. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, my guest today is the wonderful Steve Burns, deputy editor editor of Video Gamer. How are you doing today then, Steve?
1: I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. It's the it's the bank holiday weekend in the UK, so yeah, it means I get another day to sit around playing super hyped platform exclusive unreleased video games, um, and generally thinking, yeah, video games—they're all right.
0: <laughs> People who regularly watch video game stuff or read your stuff might think that is a uh, uh, you lying, Steve, because you're a renowned. Uh... Voice opinion, Renown,
1: <laughs> renowned <laughs> hater of video games. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, is that I obviously, I obviously do love a lot of video games, but yeah. most of them are shite. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get onto uh, some uh, some examples of of terrible video games, which there are many. Which they in this room I'm sitting in. There are about two hundred of them, and they're all crap. There's about <laughs> when you you asked me for the list of eight. I was like, you know what? I got to about three. I was like, I'm not sure I can, you know. And I actually had to think. Come on, Steve, what games have you enjoyed? You know, people have games <laughs> that just that burst into their mind. They can give you twenty or thirty. I was like, ah, uh, all right. So we have got Pez. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was
0: quite funny, actually, because usually when I send people the, uh, email or I'm like, please, can you think of eight games? Uh, and people are like, eight, God, I have to cut it down. This is really difficult. It took four days for Steve to even get past t- three games, two of them being, uh, pez games. <laughs> <laughs> they are the
1: best though. There you go.
0: <laughs> so first thing I wanted to ask you, Steve is how did you get started in the video game industry then? And did you sort of come in as a fresh faced lover of video games or have you always sort of had these contrarian views on video games?
1: Well, I didn't go. I so I went to university and then when I finished uni, uh, like all students, almost I did nothing for a while. Um, which wasn't a big change because students don't do a lot anyway. No. And, true. uh, yeah, so it was just, it was a mistake, basically. Everything, I was very lucky. My, um, my girlfriend had a house uh, at the uni, and just down the road was uh, Electronic Arts in Chertsey. So I went to uni at Royal Holloway, and that was in a little town called Eggham. And just down the road in Chertsey was... Uh, the old Electronic Arts UK headquarters. Okay. So it's a very grand building at 2000 Hillswood Drive, I believe. And I think it was designed by Sir Norman Foster. And it was meant to it was meant to be... It's an E from above. And there was meant to be an A next to it, but they ran out... Well, they didn't run out of money. They just thought, this is a gigantic waste <laughs> of time. So there's just a um, big E there. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it, was, it was very, very kind of uh ea from the say 90s and yeah and early 2000s it's uh the entire front of the building is a slanted diagonal glass and it slides off uh in the summer and they've got like a man-made lake outside and all of that sort of shit you know you're like well if we've got all this money how do we uh how do we spend it <laughs> but they don't <laughs> they're not there anymore they're uh they're in guildford but anyway so that was down the road And uh, so I needed a job and I just applied for a a testing role. This was after I'd been uh, rejected for a role on a Nintendo magazine for future publishing where the interview had not gone well. (laughs) Um, Because I was a bit too candid about my opinions on some other future magazines, even though the editor of the magazine I was applying for Agreed with me, and we had a good old laugh about it. I can imagine they shut the door and went, "Fuck that guy!"
0: <laughs> One of those where you think you're doing really, really well, and then all of a sudden,
1: yeah, I think it was a bit jazz from Peep Show. So I don't accidentally get the bugger, that sort of thing. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and in fairness, I wasn't. I don't think I was right for it. But I wanted to be. I wanted to write about video games. I wanted to write on video games magazines. I'd grown up reading them, yeah, um, and I, I loved reading them. And I still did it at that point. And so, yeah, so I went and got this job because I needed one at EA. And it kind of opened my eyes to how, you know, how video games are made, you know, the wizard behind the curtain, as it were. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I worked on some, some big games like Burnout Paradise, the PS3 version of the Orange Box, uh, which is where I first heard the the, uh, the Portal song. And uh, it was playing, someone had finished Portal uh, before anyone else on the testers and it started ringing out in the office over the credits. Yeah. And the whole office kind of ground to a halt. So I was like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) And it's one of those great moments where, you know, no one else, really no one outside of it has heard that. I think it becomes such a mainstay. So you were one of the
0: first people in the world to hear the song that would become incredibly, incredibly overplayed over the internet.
1: Yes, yes, quite. So, yeah, I mean, they were they were really good days at EA, and then uh, latterly at Sega in a in a slightly more advanced role and worked on uh, Total War and all that. So, but what it did was it showed how how amateur a lot of video games making is. Like you, you like to think that when when games are being made that they're being made by all of these uh, all of these. In, hyper intelligent people with all these great plans and a lot of times they actually are but you get to see how uh, with bigger teams yeah the amount of bureaucracy that goes into making any decision stops things from being made or absolutely you know, executed yeah. if, and that that's the same with everything but it was just interesting uh, having been a video game fan for so long to see the arguments uh that happen between team members between so like Development hates test because all test does is say how shit the thing they've made is. Uh test hates dev because they think dev never listens to them. And production <laughs> hates both of them because they're not getting the job done. It's the, yeah. So
0: Yeah, I know I know this all too well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And uh EA EA treated their testers really badly. You weren't allowed in the front door. Um you had to go through the the back door and and all of that and you were kind of ushered away when they were guests and such but it was really it was really good times you meet loads of like-minded people who get to play unreleased video games i mean you know it wasn't the hardest job in the world but yeah following that i um i left sega and i went back to my parents house and i was like so i need another job and i went out to the pub and i was annoyed about something i don't know what it was it was probably man united to be honest and i came home <laughs> I think I'd gone out to watch Man United and they'd lost. I came home and like really pissed off, like, they're so rubbish. Like, wah,
2: wah, 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 wah.
1: And they weren't at that <laughs> point, they were amazing.
0: <laughs> you, you yearn for those days to come back.
1: <laughs> yeah, quite. And uh, so I just, yeah, I just went online and I was like, right, I've got to do something about this job situation. And I was yeah. just, like, spurred into action by Man United, basically. And I saw that uh, Imagine Publishing had a job opening uh for their tips magazine imagine that a magazine solely dedicated to fucking tips um that seems like it's like a thousand centuries ago now yes yeah so i literally wrote it down went to bed applied had a couple of interviews um kept chasing them and they called up and said that i hadn't got it and i was like oh that's annoying and uh but they said, "Oh, we've got a job opening at uh, 360 Magazine, which I love, which is one that I read every month." Okay. So they were like, "They were like, would you like to take that one instead?" I'm like, well, obviously. Yeah, that, that so, seems uh,
0: like the better option.
1: Oh yeah, I was I was delighted. Yeah, uh, really. That worked out. Yeah, it worked out, and then I went to Imagine and uh, spent a few years there. Um, yeah, and it, that was great. It was, uh, but yeah, again. You kind, I kind of saw just how much bullshit goes into a lot of game stuff there. For example, when I arrived, uh, I was tasked with previewing uh, one of those uh, MX versus ATV games, you know, that crap. And uh, I said to my editor, I was like, okay, <clears throat> have you got the code? And he went, no. I said, what do you mean? He was like, just write about it. And I was like, oh no, this is the moment when you read like all the all your dreams shatter. <laughs> and I'm like, just, just, just read about it, read someone else's thing and then write it. I'm like, are you joking? Whoa. Like, I was like, no. Like as in not like other people's work, like press releases and all of that yeah. sort of thing. And I was like, really? So that's what that's what you did. You just Yeah. So, yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: So uh there's a lot of, a lot of times when you know, maybe there was in that instance I don't think there was actually code to hand. So you were writing a preview in a very old-fashioned way, almost like very 90s and 80s, like you'd heard about it. Yeah, or
0: or you were looking at a really faded screenshot in in some Japanese magazine or that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, but I'd always presume that being, because you were writing for a magazine and you were in the industry and you had the context, they would say you'd have it earlier. And so you you started to to get appreciation of both sides of it. So I worked in tests and knew how deadlines could slip and how it was difficult to get a release candidate build or even a yes. playable build. Um, I mean, there was one high-profile shooter I worked on that on PS3 just literally did not work until about a month before it was released, which was incredible. <laughs> and a testament to uh, to the people that made it. So, um, so yeah. it's uh, So I left Imagine uh, after a few years, and a uh, video gamer um, called and said, we'd like you to... Uh, to interview for this job. And yeah, I'd, um, now I, my predecessor in the reviews and features role was a guy called Martin Gaston, an incredibly funny man who once said that the source code for Duke Nukem Forever should be fired into the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Martin uh, went
0: on to work at GameSpot, didn't he? Yes.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's a great guy and, uh, very similar outlooks. Um, so yeah, I think he thought he was like, Right. Steve, i think he'd suggested me to the boys tom and uh james ory yeah. who uh, owned it and uh, i thought that they would never approach me because in a review of uh, f1 2010 or 11 uh, i'd written for now gamer uh, i'd said that graphically it looked like a three-week-old bucket of piss and uh, <laughs> martin had told me that uh, tom had read that review and and uh if not affronted by it, <laughs> thought that I just <laughs> fundamentally had misunderstood the entire thing. So I never thought the video game <laughs> would, uh, would uh, come calling, but they did, and I, I'm very glad they've. Uh, it's been amazing, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, but you also see uh, when you're when you do things slightly differently, like we do, when you're not kissing so much ass all the time, when you are, you know, when you're essentially. Taking the piss a bit, people get so upset. Right? And it, it's it, it. Sometimes it's like, okay, we get it. You you're publishing the game, or you're working in the game. You're close to it. You want it to get the. It's your job to make sure it gets the best reviews, best coverage it can. But PR people, not all of them, sometimes it just get so precious about every little thing. And generally, it's not. It's not even really uh, UK. It's the US. I think where all most of the orders come down from the US, they just don't get yeah. it. They just don't get it. So uh, we th- we threw a certain peripheral, much maligned peripheral, out of a window to, uh, as a joke for a video, and they were like, "I won't say it was, but for." <laughs> for a long time there's no one would talk to us
0: <laughs> but yes so how do you go about turning around that kind of thing then if you're if that company then are going to do like a huge release that you think oh we have to we have to cover this otherwise we're going to be left for dead in some parts how do you sort of turn around those relationships that maybe sometimes seem unrepairable or do you just well, not care
1: I don't think that's, that that they that they can't be repaired I just think that uh, everyone has a job to do. I don't I don't blame them at all. But uh you know people have their jobs to do. We have ours and we've been very successful in what we do. So we have to balance what people actually come to say our YouTube channel for. But we yeah, we have to balance it and sometimes we'll, you know and it's not even necessarily for big releases. So it's not like we then go cap in hand and say I'm sorry, blah blah blah. Yeah. Sometimes you just you know send an email because you know the people they are they're not just faceless PR goons. You you know you've been to shows with them. You've probably been in the bar with them at some point. You know they are just people after all. And you just say how's it going, and then you just then kind of you know you start chatting a bit more, and generally those things get resolved. But and if they don't, and I don't really think this is the case with anyone uh, at the moment, but if they don't, you just go and buy the game because the street date will get broken somewhere else. Like it's just, so I mean, Uncharted 4 at the moment, it's everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So review embargoes, I can't say when it is, but it's a a way off. (laughs) (laughs) And you've got people sitting around buying it from eBay and CEX. So, but yeah, what we do is, is, uh, I don't know, we try and get that spirit of, I'm not saying that we're uh, as good as, but the spirit of those old, Games magazines, you know, a bit of Amiga power, that sort of thing, where it's very personality driven, and you know, we don't we don't care necessarily who we who we wind up, and that and that hasn't been the case in games media for uh, a while, because obviously people are so dependent on, especially in the web, uh, the publisher for access, so you okay. don't want to lose that. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I think people were, were surprised when we just started. Throwing stuff out of windows. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to be working because video game seems to have just grown like exponentially over the, maybe the past two years. Like the more content you've been creating, especially the video side, has just mm. sort of grown really big.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think we were we were lucky. We had some and have had some really uh, some good guys. Matt Lee's uh, was there. he joined the same day that I did around 2013 okay and uh yeah so we were we were kind of hired together um yeah and matt matt did some really good work uh then obviously you had you know people like uh bratters we've got Jim miller yeah, miller's like a fucking terminator a <laughs> psychopathic work work ethic i bet he's at the gym now i bet he's been at the gym it's like ten ten 10 past 10 uk time i bet he's been at the gym for about five hours already so but no we've I think uh, we've been, we've had some really good people, um, but what we've also had as well is a very little red tape. So very little bureaucracy. Video game is not the biggest outfit in the world, but that enables us to to turn quicker. When I was at Imagine, if you wanted to do anything, it had to go through your your deputy editor, your editor, your editor in chief, your editorial director, head of publishing, whatever. Here, you just turn to Tom. Uh, or James or whoever, and just say, shall we do this? And they go, yeah, and then you go and do it. <laughs> and um, I must say as well that Tomori, uh, he seems very unassuming. Uh, so he's the, he's the uh, owner and yeah. uh, part owner and editorial director and founder, uh, co-founder of the firm. He's very unassuming, and he uh, likes to joke that he's very boring. But I will say he's uh, really, really switched on, and uh, he knows exactly what to do and when to do it so that kind of unassuming demeanor hides that he's been responsible as well for a lot of uh, the true genius behind i mean mean, it's his firm basically so he's the guy that okays all of the madness so you can't ask for a better (laughs) boss in that regard
0: fantastic yeah wow well we you're here to talk about said video games today then the ones that have got you where you are today and uh, as we spoke about before there were a few that you struggled to think of so we're going to start off with the strong ones because you've chosen the uh, ones that were instantly came to your mind uh first so yep. we're going to listen to some music and then we're going to dive straight into it cool mm-hmm. So the first game on your list today, Steve, is the famous horror series... The game developed by Capcom and directed by Shinji Mikami, originally released for the PlayStation 1 in March 1996, it's since received multiple re-releases and HD releases, as well as a complete remake, which is the one you've chosen today. Players take on the role of either Jill Valentine or Chris Redfield, two members of the Special Police Unit, STARS, which is headed up by Albert Wesker. Players explore a mansion in Raccoon City that's been tied to the mysterious Umbrella Corporation. It was incredibly well-received and is known as one of the best horror games ever made, spawning a multi-million dollar video game franchise that is loved by many the world over today you've chosen resident evil remake steve why is resident evil the remake on your list today
1: well resi remake is my my all-time favorite game it's uh it's an incredibly smart game which is uh which just has just the right amount of silliness attached to it uh all the all the kind of jill sandwich stuff which yeah. uh, made it back over from the original all the infamous uh,
0: bad voice acting
1: yeah, I love the uh, I love the original Resident Evil on uh, on PlayStation. I um I had a choice when I was uh, when well, I was much younger, and obviously your parents would give you money, or you'd have to go and do your paper round or whatever to earn the cash, or just yeah. not be a dick, so your parents thought <laughs> you're in their good graces and they give you some money. And uh, yeah, I'd um, I got my PlayStation, and uh, I wanted to. Um, wanted to go and get a new game so i went into a little independent game shop in the town in which i used to live and they had two games uh that was pre-owned and hence a lot cheaper there was doom and doom was 15 pounds i think uh playstation version and then they had this game called resident evil which was 25 pounds so in those days like another tenner is, is hard to come by yes uh, absolutely so it's like okay well you know should I go for Doom? And I remember like mulling this over, but like, I've played Doom. I've played a lot of Doom. I love it. I still do. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe I should go for this game because I've seen it in a lot of magazines and I've been getting a lot of hype and it just, it seems yeah. so different as well. And uh, so in the end, I think I traded in one of my games and got a bit of credit on the back end, but still had enough to cover the, you know, the tenor. So I bought this game and I just instantly fell in love with it. It was so... It was so Japanese in a lot of ways. Um, there's this amazing uh, plot analysis of Resident Evil. I know, I know, saying an amazing plot analysis is the sort of thing that fucking train <laughs> spotters say, right? but uh, it's uh, it's like it's like fifty thousand words long of all the games, and it's written by a guy called um, Dan Berlew and Thomas Wild, and it's on Game FAQs and, and whatever you can find it. But it's written really tongue in cheek about just how silly these games are, but. Um, they were saying that in Resident Evil, and it's, uh, they said that Resident Evil, and as, as you live in Japan, I'm sure you can uh, shed some light on this one. Yeah. That uh, when like things happen, they, they were saying that the best way to think about Resident Evil is that it's the difference between um, Japanese culture and Western culture. In that in, uh, say, Japanese culture for a lot of media, things uh, things happen and they just happen. And you're like, okay, that's happened. I accept that this is the thing. Whereas in Western culture, things happen, then they get explained. And yes. then you have to know why they've happened. Yeah. So in, in Resident Evil, uh, you know, in in older, you know, in older, Japanese platform games, for example, there's a level of ab- abstraction that you just take for granted. Like, you know that Mario is a plumber, but you don't really care that he's a plumber, right? Yeah, <laughs> no one's really asked
0: why is Mario a plumber. Yeah. It's just that's, something that's, that's, that's
1: not, there. It just informs the game design. Yeah. But Resident Evil was was actually very Western. Um, it had English voice acting. It was shot like a B movie, uh, like a, like a US. It had that uh, B, terrible
0: like, FMV at the beginning, this yeah. whole sort of movie to give you some exposition on what was going on.
1: Yeah. It had like cool dude Westerners smoking in that intro <laughs> uh, and all of that. Yeah. So it, it had all these, all these Western elements, uh, Yeah, but it always, it was so, it was very, it was, it was something that I just hadn't ever encountered really before um and so just the the as i said the abstract nature of the, of the puzzles of the house uh of, of why do you need why is there a tiger statue with two gems missing from its eyes and you know it's just it was also notoriously difficult yeah uh, you know you just you could get killed at any time and it introduced a level of of planning into in, well, into the games that i like action games really that I just really hadn't seen before, and there's Alone in the Dark and Sweet Home and you know, the influences on it. Yeah, but but this this was just something else, and I think it, it had it has a great mood, and the 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 genius of it is that because everything fits together so well, because there's an internal logic whirring through it that you just don't care that you need. <laughs> four crests to open a door <laughs> because the whole thing has this bizarre uh internal logic as i said yeah. going through it all and it's just it it's so it's so beautifully crafted this is one of the reasons why i think it's a lot better than resident evil 2 resident evil 2 is the most boring game like in terms of its in terms of uh production design okay so I mean, with the original Resident Evil, you've got all those drawing rooms and you know antechambers, and yeah. the game gets weaker as it moves away from that. So it, as it gets towards the final third, when you're in the lab, you're like, oh, it's a it's a lab now, oh, okay. But that's fine because you're kind of working towards the end of the game. You know, you need your 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 ending, but it's it's such a beautifully rendered game uh, that you know you, all the areas are distinct. So if you take the the main mansion. Then the guardhouse, the courtyards, the uh, the underground tunnel section, and the lab—they're all very different in a lot of ways, but each of them is consistent in the design for the rest of the game. So all the backgrounds were were pre-drawn, yeah, and you're just like moving around on top of them, basically. Okay. as everyone knows, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it, and the camera angles as well. So the art and the angles—it was it was a game that was very much directed. And when we talk about game directors. I was saying the other day that there's this big brouhaha about Street Fighter Five, and Armika uh, with her, you know, where she slaps her ass. Yeah. And like the way women are presented and people were like, well, yeah, but Ryu's not got a top on. It's like, but it's not about, it's not just about how they look. It's about how the camera sees them.
0: Yeah. It's this about one the, of the gratuitous shots. Like, yeah. you don't zoom in on Rio's torso to focus on Rio's torso because he's got a top off. He's just got a top off aesthetically. Whereas when Almika is like slapping her ass, the camera zooms yeah. right in to announce to the player, look where this is and look what's happening.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so, and so we had to, so I was having this discussion. And it was like I think one of the biggest misnomers in all of video games is that is what we call a camera actually isn't. So it's more like a feed. Like a camera is when you use a camera you you generally use it as a framing device for sorry, I'm just gonna pop the wank out on here, but you use it as a framing device for you know, to filter things through. And where in a lot of three D games we actually see that we what we see is just a feed of our own of, of what we're looking at, yeah. so it's less a camera and more just you know. in Do you really call it a camera in Call of Duty when you're running around just looking everywhere? Really, it's a feed. It's a live feed of what you're seeing at that point. So gamers don't actually really understand when uh, certain games take a, a position on that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, back to the point, which is that Resident Evil, on the other hand, very much is you know with static cameras it very much is fixed it is filtering through what you can see what you see
0: Um, is what shinji mikami wants you to see he's thought about every single shot and he's thought about every single room and what is important about that room that he wants you to see or figure out for yourself
1: yeah exactly and so with the with the artwork with the progression of the game as well that you all but you kind of get a bit stuck the puzzles require a level of kind of lateral thinking um and a bit of abstraction as i said there but um, but yeah, it's a the thing is as I said, it's a very well directed game and directed in the purest sense in the, in the cinematic sense, and uh, that's why the remake with those incredible hand drawn uh, created backgrounds, I love it so much because it feels like you're going through a real crafted experience there, and the mood of the game is is amazing. And one thing that Resident Evil gets a lot of credit for, but you know maybe even not enough credit is are is the music the music is so good the save room themes the uh the kind of the danger themes that announce things before you can see them and the player the, the best thing about resi is that the player uh there's no distance between the player and the uh, uh and the character like you're go, you at the very same time you're going both through this house that you've and you're, you're both kind of like Marveling at how wonderful this place is, and also like shit, there's a giant spider around the corner. So there's there's no <laughs> it, it kind of it cuts through that thing where you don't you feel vulnerable all the time as you would. You feel like you've got to, or keep planning all the time as you would. You've got to make decisions. So it's a very agency driven game, yeah. In a lot of ways, but it's also an extremely well directed game. So those two things come together. Like I said, with the artwork, with the production. Uh, I just love it for for those. It's a very very smart game, even though people often like to talk about its sillier elements. You know, like the the, the bad voice acting of the. FNG. Well, it's one of those
0: things. It fits into a category that I read about some once, where it's like, jap Japanese Western. Like, it's a game that is meant to be Western and appeal to Western audiences, but it's made by Japanese people. It's like if if Westerners tried to make a game about Japan, you would just take all the stereotypes, all the idea of what you think Japan is like and then you make a game about it. It's the same with Japanese people making a game out of what all the stereotypes they think of Westerners are, but at the same time having all the bad pitfalls of a Japanese game, like bad voice acting because they don't know what good English voice acting sounds like and all that kind of thing. It just sits right directly in the middle. So it has the quirks of almost both sides.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean... I know there's a lot of so-called hand-holding and tutorializing of games these days, which is true. But if you think back to Resident Evil, like when you start as Chris, you don't have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I, and again, the, the feeling of constant dread of vulnerability uh, is, is great in those early playthroughs. But what starts to happen, and Jim Sterling in his review of Resident Evil Remake, he absolutely nailed this point, um, is that after a while, for me at least, Resident Evil, you start to, you grow to know that house like you know your own because you played it so many times and you know where things are in rooms as yeah. you do in your own house. <laughs> and so this, you get this, this, I don't know, it's like an attachment, familiarity of the place and that, you know, I've been running around in that mansion more than I've lived in the house that I live in now, you know, almost as long as I lived in the house that I lived in before. yeah, You know, there are very few places that uh, that I've been uh, that play homes that I know that I've actually spent more time in, uh, you know, <laughs> technically in terms of you know how long Resident Evil's been about than that game. So it starts to hardwire a little bit of your brain. You start to find it comforting to just throw on Resident Evil because you start you know you start running around like oh I need I know I need to go and fight Yawn now or I need to you know get the V Jolt thing or I need yeah. to get the for this and that and the other. It's a beautiful game. It's uh and People love it, uh, but I still don't think it really gets the respect that it deserves. People, people love the second one. The second one uh, is good. I replayed it recently, but I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the original. It's it's a, a retread uh, in the in the purest possible sense. That police station is ridiculous. Uh, everything's really overlit. Um, yeah, but it's interesting to see what the uh, Resi Two remake does. But uh, yeah, that's why I love the original Resident Evil. I think it's uh, it's a classic. It's my favourite game of all time it's just so so smart
0: fantastic well that is a great start to the show i wonder if you have the same phrase for the rest of the games on the list today so well we're going to move on to your next game anyway and it's very very different from the game you've just chosen but also a game that you also love so we're going to listen to some music and dive straight into it So, Steve, just before we move on to the next game we have the sort of part of the show where we talk about the deserted place that you are trapped in playing these eight games. Mm -hmm. So traditionally, obviously if we're following the deserted place, we've got like a desert island or you're sort of trapped in space or on a spaceship and that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. to make it interesting I I usually ask my guests to think of a virtual deserted place. So a place in video gaming that instantly comes to your mind that you wouldn't mind being trapped in so obviously before you spoke very familiarly about the mansion in resident evil or Mm. and all that kind of things uh, is there a sort of another place in video gaming that instantly comes to mind that you think i wouldn't mind to be trapped there playing these games for the rest of my short life
1: Mm. (laughs) uh no not really that's uh Sorry for a rather boring answer there, but uh, yeah, I don't know.
0: So we had like uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Matt Lees come on the show yeah, and he chose the world of Pokemon. So Kanto in Pokemon, just because of the sort of naive, very safe nature, very sort of beautiful grasslands of that whole world. Um, And in the past, we've had people like Danny O'Dwyer from GameSpot pick like uh, the Island of the Witness because it's very beautiful and green and very easy. Obviously, we have some weird choices as well, like Andy Kelly from PC Gamer chose the Nostromo from Alien Isolation.
1: He's lost it. He's (laughs)
2: completely lost it.
0: But is is that really any worse than the mansion from Resident Evil? Do you Uh, really want to be trapped there? Yeah, it
1: probably is worse. The alien's a bit more, a bit smarter than... uh, if I was to to have to inhabit a game world, I'd probably go for the one of Resident Evil, but also maybe the one that uh, the Hitman occupies. Uh, we're going to talk about Blood Money in uh, in a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's this kind of sly, uh, devious place where uh, you can just kill people and get away with it.
0: So uh, great. <laughs> okay, so specifically, uh, are we talking the Blood Money era video game? So sort of America. Or maybe the new games where you've got that choice between uh Paris or Italy. Maybe uh, You know what, I I, I love Hitman twenty
1: sixteen uh so far. I think it's uh, it's absolutely magnificent. But um yeah, we'll have to wait and see if it really cares because Blood Money has so many good levels stacked up. Yeah. And in so we'll probably go for the US. I mean I can just escape to LA.
0: No problem. So LA in Hitman is the place you attract Unfortunately, there is no one there, so you can't kill anyone.
1: Oh, will be fine. I'll just strut around. i will go and have a look in Jack Nicholson's house, see what's up.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. So we're going to move on to your next game now, which is uh, developed and published by Konami. It was originally released for the PlayStation 2 in October of 2006, with subsequent releases for the Xbox 360, the Wii, and PSP coming later. It's the sixth game in the Japanese winning Eleven series, or as it's known here in Europe, Pro Evolution Soccer, the main competitor to EA's football juggernaut FIFA. It has only a handful of fully licensed teams and players, but the gameplay was lauded by many critics for being a great alternative to FIFA. It's Pez 6. Steve, yes, why is PES 6 is. on your list?
1: Oh, it's it's amazing. It's like, You know, it was very tough to call this between PES uh, 6, Pez 2013, Pez 2016, which I'm on the record saying is the best football game of all time. And I do believe it is.
2: I, six I also, actually
0: just bought that game uh, two days ago. So I'm playing yep. through that now with the, the Euro 2016 DLC as well. It's pretty uh, it's really good. Course.
2: It's yeah,
1: really good. It's great. Uh, Pez 6 has a kind of nostalgic appeal now. Uh, to me so that's why it's got the nod it's also the one that i played the most uh, i play it in two-player master league with uh my friend ben and i think we won the champions league like eight times or something and we're playing it on <laughs> like top player and uh the thing is is that is that we you know we go to his house and pro evolution soccer was always that that university mainstay or it was back then um, mine was so beaver,
0: much- but i understand what you mean i understand
1: yeah um so it was just at the time, so when I was at uni, which is a thousand years ago now, uh, it's it seemed it was it was it was miles ahead of FIFA. Uh, anyway, so Pez Six came out, and I had the three uh, the Xbox three hundred and sixty version, which uh, a lot of people don't like. They prefer the PS two version, but I played that game in two player um, co op master league. The Xbox from- three hundred and
0: sixty version had like a new engine, uh, didn't it? So maybe the physics felt a little different to people who had played the PlayStation two version. It wasn't. It wasn't as
1: fast, and uh, it had less uh, edit capabilities. Oh, okay. So people were were very mad about that, and it had uh, fewer competitions and all that. But um, but yeah, I love it, and I actually just played PEZ Six up until the release of PEZ Twenty Thirteen, because I thought that the other the ones that came after it were crap, and they really showed how Konami had badly stumbled between the generations, and uh, I think they they admitted that uh themselves uh, guys like Seabass uh, who was uh, heading up uh, Pez but uh but yeah they kind of lost their way the uh, the Pez team for a while there but in 2013 they turned it back around again and made a fantastic football game but what i love about pez is it has the uh, again the wank hat's gonna go on it has the <laughs> the best goal feel in any in, in football in uh, football games and konami call it goal feel so you know It's pretty self-explanatory. What emotion do you have when when the ball goes in the net? Yeah. And football games for a long time struggled with that because if you remember in very early FIFA, it was too easy to score. And there was always, you know, I think if you're a mega drive, you just ran to the corner and hit C and it went in the top corner all the time. Yeah. And on the early PlayStation versions, you could win games 8 to 10 nil just as a matter of course. But um, I always wondered why it felt so good what, you know, how did they create this? And it is, you know, they're, they're Japanese as well. Japan, football is big in Japan, you all know.
0: But uh, football it, is actually huge in Japan. It's yeah. incredible the sort of world's view of how Japan views soccer. And yeah. it's something I've always thought about because since I've been in Japan, I've met so many kids who are incredibly good at football. Mm. Like amazing. But because yeah. of the way the Japanese schooling systems work, they have to sort of stop taking up sports for like three years and focus on really? studies. So really talented kids who are really good at soccer, or as they say over here, which drives me crazy, um, yeah. they have to sort of stop. So I'm not surprised that there is this sort of stunted growth in how many good Japanese footballers are out there. But yeah, yeah. as you said, f- soccer over here is, is huge. Football is massive. There are magazines and magazines at the moment all about Leicester <laughs> just because really? Shinji Okazaki plays for them.
1: Yeah, of course. Of
0: so course. It, it's huge next to baseball. It's easily the second biggest sport.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you think that you know Japanese developer making making this game, and they don't have the resources of um, uh, of an EA and all of that sort of thing. No. But what, what they what they did do is that they they took uh, Konami's teams. They they take what you love about football and then they filter it through the actual game element and someone on Edge's forums of all places recently and this is the, the very best description of uh, of what's happening in football games at the moment especially EAs is they're not actually trying to recreate the feeling of playing football they're trying to recreate the feeling of watching football so you get this constant Sky Sports this barrage of uh, of eye and- You,
0: I have sort of noticed over the past few editions of FIFA that the way they present things have they've definitely try to imitate sky sports to the absolute T like the way yep. the camera angles work the yep. way the you know the lower thirds come on and all that kind of thing just yeah. so broadcast heavy
1: yeah so yeah, someone said that and it really made me like, kind of think about what what was it i loved about pez and so i finally got this uh and pez has the i say the best goal feel in fifa it kind of feels like you're going through the numbers like and and so I I it's incredibly
0: static yeah FIFA is one of those things uh, if you play a lot of FIFA you know how to score and you know what will work mm -hmm. and there are things that you think in real football you'd be like I'm going to try that but they just won't work in FIFA because the game engine doesn't work that way
2: yeah like you know you
0: can score from this certain distance without it going over the bar or you know you can cross from this angle and you know you've got a good chance and any other area or any other attempt will just not work
1: oh yeah so this is yeah that's exactly the problem with fifa and so i, I spent uh, a little bit of time um thinking about uh you know what what makes pez so good and uh i tried to get to the bottom of it for quite a few years so i i emailed uh, i had a, an interview opportunity and i emailed um these questions off and one of them was how do you get the, the goals? to feel as good as they do which i suppose is a bit like rocking up to coca-cola and saying you know what's the what's the ingredients here boys <laughs> and that question wasn't even answered it was and it wasn't proposed to the developer it was deleted <laughs> just they they just refused to even uh, acknowledge the question's existence so anyway a year or so later i'd gone to e3 and I had an interview with uh, some of the chaps from pez and uh, I was like, listen, I want to know why, how, <laughs> I, I said, like, I love Pez. How how do you get the, the goal feel or the general feel of the play, you know, to, to be that good? And they refused to answer it again. And they gave this very long-winded answer. And I said, and it's going to make me sound like a, it was a bit more, you know, it was a bit nicer than this. But I was like, that isn't, I said, that's not really the question that I asked. But it's okay, we'll move on to the next one. And anyway, so I asked the ne- the next question. Uh, the guy answers it. The translator is providing uh, the translation, and then the uh, producer interrupts his translator, and I'm like, "Ooh!" And he starts talking again. And she turns around and says, "Actually, he wants to tell you." Like, and they're like, "Shit!" Is they going to tell me? And it said, and it's something that I suspected for a few years: is that in FIFA, everything's really over-animated. So you get to see every single frame of like the foot going back and hitting the ball, and yeah. and that causes problems passing with uh, getting in and out of frames. Even turning players, they turn like little boats, I always like they to say, do, FIFA. Yeah. The turning circles
0: At, are awful. Yeah, awful.
1: in PES, everything's just that little bit clipped. It has frames of animation missing. And what they said to me was, we do that so that when you score the goal, your, your brain fills in the rest of it. So you have just enough animation frames to see what happens, but there's something missing. And so you, in your brain, put together the, the rest of the package for the goal. So it's clipped. It sounds very wanky to say, but it's clipped. But just in like how, when you remember goals that you've scored in real life, you kind yeah. of remember them in that kind of, well, I, I, I know the things that I did, but then it's a bit hazy, like you might think, oh, yeah, I went right the top I, I
0: literally have an example in my head of when I yeah. was about eight and I played my first game for like the under 10s or whatever. And I scored, I remember scoring a hat trick or something. And one of them was like a bicycle kick. And it obviously was nowhere near as good as I think it was. <laughs> but I remember it. And I remember it like Wayne Rooney's goal against Man City. That's exactly how I remember it. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: exactly. And so they, what they admitted there was that a lot of, a lot of Pez's, uh, beauty, is projection, the player's projection onto their goals, onto their passes, onto their everything in the game. And I thought that's a very sophisticated way, instead of just taking the game, making your game exactly like it, yeah. actually injecting the thing that people love about football, which is the fact that they wish it was them playing. So yeah, it's uh, it was them doing those things, them remembering goals that, that you know, that bicycle kick, for example, uh, that Rooney scored. And yeah everyone's got a slightly different version in their minds of how it happened like do people remember that nani's cross was deflected do people remember that nani crossed the ball you know what i'm second guessing myself now did nani yeah. cross
0: that fucking? Ball? it's one of those things it's weird because i've always felt with pez as much as i've played fifa over the years and there have i've always struggled with some issues with pez but what i've always thought and this is maybe coming to it is that you could always go from anywhere Yes. In Pez, And that was the, that was one of the most wonderful things about it. You could score the most absolute of screamers. Or you could have something that just doesn't happen in FIFA, which is where you could hit it from to the rightest of angles and it would bounce off a player's head and it would go in the back of the net. Yeah. That just doesn't happen in FIFA. And I've always thought that was such a wonderful thing that it was almost kind of arcade Well, yeah, they, they kept the game element.
1: So they didn't, they, they understood. And, and Pez is... I like to call it the Pez conspiracy, which I'm sure if you've played it over the years, you know, you'll know you hit the post three times and then the AI will have one shot and it will go in, or you'll be thrown goal at 1 0 <laughs> up and it will just go wide, or the keeper will make a double save. And uh, a lot of people know that FIFA took a lot from Pez uh, through balls, uh, all of that sort of thing. But what they don't really appreciate, I think, is that FIFA got infinitely better when its scripting started to be more like Pez's. Uh, and that happened around about uh, UEFA Euro 08, uh, that tie-in, which was oh, yeah. really good. Re- and that was the moment I was like, shit, this is a, a really good FIFA game. I got very excited for FIFA 09, which I never thought I would be. So yeah, Pez, again, is like, it, yeah, it has terrible menus and it has all this, uh, it has very bad presentation problems. And yes, it can't get the licenses. Uh, but at the same time, on the pitch, I think that yeah, a it's about player it's about player projection, and then your, you know, you get your your as you say the freedom of expression. Yeah. So you feel like you can do all these things because the game encourages you, and because of your projection onto it. When it comes off, it feels like you've done it rather than <laughs> a bunch of AI running around yeah. executing lines of code. And that is why I'll play that game forever because, like you say, there's there's so many goals that you can score, and even the ones which are you know you knock it across the box and you just tap it in the Pez goal they're because so it
0: worked, well. and it there's, it feels like something you couldn't do. It yeah, just feels great.
1: Yeah, they're so well worked that it's uh, yeah great, amazing game. I love it. I love it dearly.
0: <laughs>
1: so, uh, so just before we move
0: on from Pez, then uh, let's talk about the box art. Okay. So the box art had John Terry on it.
1: Um, Pez six had Pez five had John Terry.
0: Oh, was it Pez? Was it Pez five? Was it
1: five? Was Henri and Terry, and six was uh, Adriano. So Adriano was at that point. Adriano's life uh, actually has completely come off the rails. In reality, and it's a very sad story. In fact, so we won't get too much into it. But at the time in uh, two thousand six, he was an incredible player, incredible, and uh, but. In because Seabass, who was the producer of Pez at that point, was a big Inter Milan fan, I, I like to joke that Adriano could score from the main menu. He was so good, they made him too good. He had, <laughs> he had a body balance of 99, which means you couldn't push him off the ball, but he just couldn't. And if it, if it went onto his left foot, he would score. It's like, you know, anything he hits, he destroys. And uh, that happened to a lot of uh, Inter Milan players like uh, Oberfemi Martins, who's the quickest player in the game. <laughs> like, you run 100 metres in about five seconds flat. It's just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. But, um, but all those little things, all those little four balls, all those, you know, you could, you could tell that the Pez team had a lot of love for the teams they supported and the players. Yeah, that played that's,
0: that's a very Japanese thing to be sort of biased towards something and then personally boost the stats of that. We, in a, in a Western way, always think to professionally we have to balance everything to not seem biased whereas in japan they don't care (laughs) they will boost characters they like it it just happens
1: (laughs) yeah exactly
0: fantastic well we're going to move on to your next game now so we've done we've done your two favorites these are i guess the runners up (laughs) yeah so let's listen to some music and go straight into them next game on your list steve is uh developed and published by konami and it was directed by fame game director hideo kojima it's the third game in the metal gear solid franchise and a prequel mm-hmm. to mgs one and two players play as the antagonist of metal gear solid big boss back when he was codenamed naked snake on a mission to russia to investigate the betrayal by his former mentor and a stolen nuke firing vehicle known as the shago Hod, praised by critics in it received incredibly high, high uh, scores on release and it is known as probably one of the best in the entire series. It's Metal Gear Solid 3. Steve, Metal Gear Solid. Uh,
1: what a belter. So yeah, Metal Gear Solid uh, 3 is my favorite of the games, even though I really like Metal Gear Solid 5 and the original Metal Gear Solid. I agree. Metal Gear Solid
0: uh, 3 is mine as well. My favorite
1: as yeah. well. Metal Gear Solid 2 is shite. It really is shite. It's a, and I understand. Um, I understand why people love it, like a deconstruction of the nature of sequels and all of that. But that's you know. <laughs> It's, it's a museum piece, you know. It's like, imagine if fucking The Empire Strikes Back started and then 20 minutes in it turned into a Stan Brakhage movie. You'd be like, well, okay, I get it. Fuck that shit. <laughs> this is not I what I, mean. I want
0: to watch for the rest of the 90 minutes. Yeah.
1: I don't even, I don't even hate Raiden. I think he's, uh, the Raiden is a really good uh, cipher for the, the kind of, and that's all he is really. He's you, basically. But um, I, I just despise it, really. I think I think, uh, I think it, it's great at what it does, but I just hate what it does so uh it's like Sergio Aguero so um hey
0: hey hey <laughs> come on
2: <laughs> so
1: uh MGS3 felt a bit like Kojima had been if not stung and taken on board some of the criticism there and it's just it's such a a great game it's a it's a more contained uh story it still has it's uh, loads of magical realism in it obviously you know the man that fires bees um but you know it's not nearly as kind of postmodern in what um, deconstruction of a uh, video game form as Metal Gear Solid 2 and it just you know it's a simple story man travels you know it's a bit of conrad man goes up river to terminate the command of you know whoever it's you know, off to see the boss colonel kurtz whoever you want to whatever you want to call him in that yeah. uh, archetype but uh, yeah the it, it's such a it feels like a, a proper adventure Because previously in the series, apart you know in the in the PlayStation series at least, there'd been the feeling that you were constantly in military bases. And in Metal Gear Solid Two, the big shell was terrible. Like just you need a map. The fact that they needed a map to get around it, because every room looked the bloody same, tells you. Whereas this, you were like you say with like the apocalypse. Now you know thing, you were you were going up you know upriver you were going through all these bases you were encountering new and different people uh both allies and uh, antagonists and it had really good boss design and you felt like i say it felt like a proper adventure that you were tracking down this soldier that was you know even more legendary than you and uh, then you had all the the cameos and the appearances from the other players and yeah, it's just a, a fantastic game. The survival stuff is brilliant, if a bit laborious. Now, the camo stuff is the same, having to go into menus to do all that. Is, I can see why there are issues. And when it was first released as a Snake Eater, it it had real camera. It was still shot from above, basically, which was terrible. Um, whereas the uh, subsistence version had a uh, behind the um, uh, third person camera, yeah, uh, behind the back, uh, which was amazing. But yeah, I love I love the feeling of adventure in that game that you you just... Uh, you, it, it's very much like the original Metal Gear Solid in that regard. Metal Gear Solid felt like an adventure as well. So,
0: I have a real soft spot for a sort of like Cold War era story and that sort of 60s spy adventures. <laughs> and I think as cheesy as it is, even from like the get-go, when you have the James Bond type Snake to song uh, straight into it, that it's nails on the head that feel of spy thriller type just presentation it's just re- it's really really good and, and it, it may be a bit laborious all this all of camo going into your menus and fixing yourself when you get injured but it all just felt a part of the what they were going for what Kojima was going for in terms of like you are on your own you're a spy in you know enemy behind lines kind of feel and I don't know it's just something so special about that game
1: yeah, it's got a, it's got an amazing this is ties into the adventure stuff. It's got an amazing sense of place. An amazing uh, and that's because the the world is so well built, but also as you say I've got I really love that kind of cold war uh, sort of thing which is one of the reasons I really like Black Ops, for yeah. example. I think I think um,
0: it's one of uh, especially in MGS3, one of the most amazing things about it is it felt so foreign. It felt like you were really on your own. You know, every time you move into a different area, the area name is in Russian. And <laughs> Russian isn't exactly the most uh, well-known of languages or, um, and not the easiest to read either. So it, it felt almost like everywhere you were was so alien to what you knew that yeah, this, the g- survival element was really, really important.
1: Yeah, it was the sense of the unknown. Oh man, I fucking, I love Metal Gear Solid Through. I love <laughs> video games again. You've convinced me.
0: Hey, um, do, do you know no, what the but... best experience I had with Metal Gear Solid 3 was? Uh, obviously, I played Subsistence on um, PlayStation 2, but I played the HD collection version on the PlayStation Vita, Not that, uh, mm-hmm. maybe three years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Amazing.
1: The um, Bluepoint Games who did that.
0: Yeah. The, they Masters, do...
1: absolute masters of what they do. Yeah, they do and... some
0: superb HD collection. Uh, they did the Uncharted one recently as well, didn't they? Um but just that game, how beautiful that game is. It was a gorgeous game back then, but the colors, the greens and the camo and everything and the control scheme, because it was a little bit arduous at the time. Yes, yes. But the, the Vita version, well, the HD version sort of fixed that and especially did it with Peace Walker, which was a nightmare on the PSP originally, but then a really, mm. really good game on the Xbox 360. Um but Metal Gear Solid 3, playing on the Vita, I played through it in two days. Just sat there all day for two days playing through it. It was superb. The game is so good.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's an, ama- it's an amazing game for for all those reasons and more. I love it to pieces. And it's my by far my favorite of the Metal Gear Solid games.
0: So what happened with 4 then? What's your opinion of 4 after going from 3 to 4? Well, 4
1: had had uh, an interesting development, so I hear uh, it had uh, issues with uh, the direction of the game. And uh, apparently there was, you know, the I think it's the Prague level, the, the one where you're sneaking around. The fucking awful,
0: them. awful, awful level where you have to well, follow uh, that
1: guy. Yeah, apparently that wasn't actually made by Kojima. I, think I that hate was that do- level. I-, I think that was directed by Ryan Payton oh so i hear
0: see i like ryan payton republic is a really good game then mm. and, and that is that hits back to like the first malga side, mm. and that's a really really good game it's recently just received a ps4 release it was a mobile kickstarter game originally but that's a really good game uh and ryan payton was like kojima's assistant i forget he was like a producer and assistant for kojima so i didn't know that that's really weird
1: yeah well that's that's why here anyway and there were i think there were other issues uh there's the the infamous one if uh if it is true is that kojima wanted snake to kill himself at the end of the game and for uh and the to have the rest of his squad execute for war crimes uh because that's what it's building up to yes. in the series from from uh if you know metal Gear solid two and four are you know directly linked in that way and philanthropy their group uh and and everyone's uh they're already being positioned at the start of two as terrorists um and so there's you know commentary on you know the blurring lines of good guys versus bad guys asymmetrical warfare uh unending war pmc war economy all that shit and then they fucked it at the end because apparently and i don't know how true it is but you know it seems plausible that Kojima wanted that ending and that was vetoed by the staff or the staff said no you should do it this way which is where you get this insane ending when the Big fan boss service
0: ending where Zero and it's, Big Boss come in
1: it's oh, fuck me off to the max so um, <laughs> the opening of Metal Gear Solid 4 say the first three chapters I think are actually very good and the precursor to
0: it is well, weird when I think back to MGS5. I remember when I played it at the time I thought it was absolutely stunning it was like one of the first PlayStation 3 games I'd played. And, um, you know, graphically it was superb, and Snake's uh, Octo Camera suit was amazing, and all this kind of thing. But towards the end, when you get to the Prague level, and then when you, the end of the Prague level, where you have to face, is it the end of the Prague level where you have to face the beast in the tower, and you're like shooting rockets out of the, windows oh, of the tower? Yeah, it's the just a really chase. bad boss fight. And then, you, yeah, you got the chase with Eva. Uh, And then towards the end, you're on the you know the huge like frigate ferry nonsense, and you have to fight all of those horrible frog-like enemies. Oh, it's crap! It's crap. I hate hmm. that bit as well. It's just weird. Maybe the development was this sort of Kojima had less influence over it than he did with other games, which is weird because then people you know sometimes want Kojima to be taken away from it because he has too much influence and. Sometimes a lot of superfluous stuff gets added into Metal Gear just because Kojima wants it there.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. He needs an editor as we all do
0: <laughs> that's what everyone says about Kojima well yeah. now he runs his own studio I'm pretty sure he's not going to oh man I
1: can't wait for it
0: I cannot <laughs> wait for that game to just be, you I'll call it
1: now. just be it, it, it would be
0: nonsense <laughs> <laughs> well so we're going to move on to your next game which you've already sort of mentioned so we're going to move into that and talk about cool. it some more so let's listen to some music So the next game on your list, Steve, as we've already mentioned, is developed by IO Interactive and published by io Interactive. It was released for the PlayStation 2 PC and Xbox in May 2006, and it received a HD release in 2013 for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. Players assume the role of the deadly assassin Agent 47 as he carries out contracts for the agency in a new adventure in America. Thought to be one of the best games in the series, it received very favourable reviews. It's Hitman Blood Money. Oh, what
1: a cracker this is. So, uh, I loved the idea of the original Hitman, Codename Forty Seven. Sadly, it didn't work. Uh, the game was uh, very buggy, um, fundamentally. So, yeah, and that you know some of its save systems didn't even work at some point. Disguise system didn't work, but still, it had this this great mood, and that's what IO does incredibly well. It does mood and atmosphere so so well. One of the few video game developers that actually really sits down and thinks about how aesthetically, mise-en-scene, all that shit, it should present in games. The prime example being Kane Lynch 2. In video games, it's an arms race to be more realistic. But you know, What does realism even mean? Photorealistic is what people are, are talking about when they say that. Uh, Kane Lynch 2 took the rather novel step of making it look worse and making <laughs> the game look like it was being shot through one of those shitty low-res uh, phones you can buy in the streets of Bangkok for about fucking... You know, five quid or whatever. So yeah. it's, um uh, that is, a, I don't think the Cane Lynch 2 is necessarily a great game. But I do think it's a brave one. And uh, just, you don't see that in video games a lot. Anyway, so um with uh, Hitman, uh, starting with uh, Silent Assassin, in the second game, then into Contracts and Blood Money, there was this building of, of atmosphere and mood. And uh, Contracts maybe went a bit too far. It's very, very bleak. People being hunted for sport, young women having you know being kidnapped by grossly overweight meat packing things being hung <laughs> from hooks. And,
0: and all I remember of that, contracts but- being really dark. I traded it. I remember I traded in SSX Tricky to buy <laughs> to buy it. <laughs> i have gone into I think it was Game Station. At the, no, maybe it was GameStop at the time. Uh, but yeah, I traded in SSX Tricky for hitman contracts because uh, a friend told me it was really really good <laughs> and it was good but it was it was as you said it was really, really
2: dark mm.
1: but so in in blood money they kind of they, they nearly they got to near the, the the zenith i think it's been taken uh over now by um hitman 2016 but finally they got their mechanics right and they've been in Hitman Two and in the Contracts. It was difficult to know when you could be spotted, and there was there was still this level of uh, you were unsure. So it kind of took you out of that feeling that you're this kind of super cool assassin who knew everything. But what the games always had was this playfulness, which which understood that you were playing a game, yeah, and that this is total cathar. You know, it's catharsis is just you were you you were in the mindset of the killer, which isn't difficult for video game people to get into because video game people love killing. But this well, is the game. Most actually,
0: most games do require you to kill people, so
1: exactly. But this is the this is one of the very few series that actually asks you to understand why you're killing, and to uh, to think about the ways in which you can improve your killing. Which is, uh, and I don't just mean like in a stat boost. It asks you to actually get better at your vocation, uh, <laughs> which is a, a very strange way of putting it. And so you you get these constant hints and tips, and one of the best ones from Hitman Two, because the game starts preempting you. Where in the first mission proper, it's like the uh, the uh, Sicilian estate. You yeah. have to go and kill the Don. You're, the first person you see you can take your disguise from is the uh, uh, is the postman. And the postman is bringing flowers to uh, to the Don. But when you take his, uh, so you take his uh, outfit. You take the flowers because that's part of the disguise, obviously. And then this little hint bubble just comes up and says, "Postman don't carry guns." And so the game is the game is in front of you all the time. It's. Uh, it knows what you want to do. It knows the reasons why people like killing in video games, yeah. and it, it, it plays with them and subverts them a lot of ways. So it's like,
0: whoa, whoa, don't don't be hasty. There's yeah, a better like, way to do this.
1: It's a very. Euro- this is the thing that Absolution got wrong. Is that Absolution tried to be American. Hitman is very European. It is ice cold. It's but it's also got that sly winking. You know, uh, it's like macabre sense of humor to it. Yeah, you it's drop very pianos. Dark. Or,
2: you know, <laughs> you, you the fact that you
1: as, can
0: dress up as other people and sort of just play around a little bit it is that sort of macabre humor.
1: Yeah, I and mean, it, so it, it gives you the, all these tools in which to do it. And then the the game kind of inverted itself around Blood Money because it gave you all these tools, all these weapons, all these knives, and guns, and bombs, garrots, whatever. And then it said, actually, the best way to do this is to make it look like you didn't do it at all. <laughs> so it's so the game about killing where you're encouraged. And the best thing about killing in video games is the boasting. So when you play, for example, Call of Duty, the kill cam's about boasting, right? Yes. Uh, the, the, you know, the leaderboards. It's all about me, me, me. I'm the man. I've done this. Look at this. Your final kill cam. You know, everyone gets to see who's the man, who, who did it. <laughs> you know, Hitman is now a game where you get so good at your job that no one will ever know you did it. Which is a fantastic, fantastic achievement for a game, which before the kind of you know was about shooting people with sniper rifles or stabbing them in the back, which required a level of skill, but the game now requires you to kind of suppress your instinct <laughs> uh, in Blood Money and make, and make everything look like a like an accident. Hitman 2016 has moved slightly away from that one by putting these challenges in, which allow you to play around with the levels a lot more. And so you get rewarded for for example using an explosive golf ball to kill someone, which is great, and again hints at the the playfulness of the series, the tone like it's a very serious series, but there's just so much there's so much good stuff going on there in terms of player agency uh the nature of interaction and uh, you know on killing yeah. as, a, as you know as the basic input method in a lot of video games uh and I love it I love it for that.
0: Well, what's good about it is nothing's ever really forced on you. Everything is sort of, it's an option. It's like, you know, postmen don't carry guns. We're just going to tell you. But if you want to do it, we're not going to fail the mission. It might just be harder for you. The option is always there just to do what you want. And I think that's what was very special about Hitman Blood Money. I think Blood Money in comparison to... The other games, it's always you know the systems have always been fairly simple. Uh, Blood Money improved upon what contracts had done, but I think Blood Money had just some of the best levels.
1: Well, yes, that's the that's the key, isn't it? Is that the the stages before in in Hitman Two? Hitman Two was a very kind of internationalist perspective. You were you were in Russia or you were in the Middle East or blah blah blah. You were you were globetrotting. Uh blood money, on the other hand, felt a bit more personal, and by that I mean it felt like you were you were actually taking on hits in places that you you recognized to vegas, for example yeah, um but some of them were were a, bit, a lot more i don't want to use the word domesticated, although that does happen in a new life, which is one of the series best where you kill a guy and win it's protection, but stuff like you instead of just infiltrating the enemy base like the uh, the military base or the you know the intercepting the motorcade and all that now you were just shooting lowlifes you were shooting informers (laughs) in their homes and you were you were dressing up as clowns and throwing people in like trash compactors and you were you know you were going into vegas hotel rooms and jumping across uh, balconies to get into places or you were you were going into like rehab centers and killing yeah. people like who had drink problems. And it was just this, again, it was, it was a nastiness about it, but the level, the levels and how well they were designed and presented, it made you feel like you, you knew those places you, or you knew of them. They yeah. weren't. It, it made, wasn't
0: so grandiose that it was out of your realm of normal life, potentially.
1: Yeah, of course. So that's, uh, you're absolutely right. And the accident stuff where, you know, you can in the, uh, in the mission where you, uh, I have to kill the guys in the rehab center. There's a guy with a drink problem, as I said there, and you can wait until he goes to get a drink out of a, a drink cabinet globe and then drop something on his head. And it's just a shame for the whole game. It's just. <clears throat> sorry. 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 <laughs> <Hold on. coughs> sorry.
0: Sorry. Agent 47 is. He's just poisoned you. He's... Yeah. It's just,
1: <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, the whole thing. The, the way the game encourages you to do these things to people that you wouldn't even necessarily think really deserve it. <laughs> but that's your job. That's what you get paid for. A magnificent uh, series. The new one is also uh, is, is great.
0: And uh, yeah, it's just going to go from strength to strength. Fantastic. Well, we're going to move on to another game about killing, but in a very, very different light. And one that doesn't really want you to take your time. It just wants you to kill as many people as possible. So let's listen to some music and go straight into it. The next game is developed by Infinity Ward and published by Activision. It was released for the PC, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360 in November of 2007. It's the first-person shooter that basically kick-started the whole console revolution uh, for shooters over the past maybe five or six years. Um, players taken the role of six different characters whilst they play through the campaign. It received incredibly high reviews and was touted as one of the best shooters ever. It sold a whopping 13 million copies across all platforms and even outsold Mario Galaxy in its first week of sales. It's Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare.
1: Yes, it is the game which ruined video games. <laughs> um, Especially for
0: a few years. <laughs>
1: yeah. it's uh, Which is a bit of a shame because as, as ever... Uh, when anything gets so big, and sp- certainly Call of Duty level big, is you actually start to lose a little bit of sight of the thing. The reason why you love it, familiarity does breed contempt. Just ask your uh, ask your partner. And um,
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: but uh, what I remember very clearly those days when it was coming out. I was working at EA at the time, and all anyone played at lunchtime was the beta. So yeah, I think if you pre-ordered from Game, you could uh, get access to the Overgrown map and maybe one other. Anyway, it was a revelation. It was it, it, it was very difficult for me to play games like Counter-Strike because I just wasn't good enough. And uh, they required, You know, you're playing on PC and there was, you know, it was just, it was, if you weren't there at the start, you were already too late. I, I felt with Counter-Strike anyway. I know that's not the case, but for me, that's how I felt. And it, it was one of those like- things,
0: the, the barrier of entry, if someone, if people are already really good and you're not sort of getting better with people... It's very just not interesting. You don't want to be lagging behind people for so long to get good.
1: But Call of Duty was that that game, which along with Halo two and three, excuse me, had uh, you know Xbox. People take it for granted now, Xbox Live. You know they don't even call it Xbox Live anymore. You know you don't really think about it, right? But. Uh, Having uh, being able to play other people on consoles was a big thing, and so if we take say was it two thousand and four, I think Xbox Live launched. Uh,
0: Uh, The Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty,
1: yeah. Um, and so with the uh, you know, so you had Halo Two, and then as I said, Halo Three. But Modern Warfare was the game which it was fast paced. It was it was in a lot of ways it was that kind of military shooter that a lot of people wanted, but it also had one of the all-time greatest player feedback loops. That adrenaline rush you get, uh, that little endorphin rush when you, when you win a game or when you kill someone yeah. is, is amazing. And I, I always thought that uh, if in real life, every time you completed a task, the Call of Duty rank up guitar riff played, productivity would go to about five thousand percent overnight. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you yeah,
0: completed yeah. the dishes. <laughs> exactly. Oh,
1: I'm thinking about it right now. Um, <laughs> and you know, when you played it in core mode at the bottom, it you were always shown just how far you're off those things. And people like to call games like Destiny and such Skinner boxes, you know, elaborate Skinner boxes. Call of Duty isn't as, as grindy as that in on the surface, but it really is. And this is the thing that I think hooked loads of people: is that it was a very accessible game. It was gun on gun, as they like to call it, mega run and gun. Uh, but underneath it was this meta game bubbling, and it started to take over your life. You wanted to get, you wanted to rank up, so you had to play it more. You wanted to see which weapons and attachments and perks and kill streaks and blah, blah blah blah. The original there were already three, yeah. you know what I mean? And you know, in the years that have gone by, we've kind of we, you know, it's still phenomenally successful, but we've lost. I think we've lost the. Uh, the kind of love for, for Modern Warfare. Because I went back and played Modern Warfare two days ago. Played it on PC. It's still, the maps are amazing. The gun feel is amazing. Yes, you are just a gun attached to a camera. Like There's no denying that. <laughs> it feels like you're floating uh, around. But that feedback loop and that metagame that underpins it is phenomenal.
0: It's also so frantic and fast and so easy to control that that element of how skillful you need to work at Counter-Strike right? just goes out of the window. You just hold the trigger down, run around, aim generally in the middle of the screen, and you're going to do all right. And I think that, would, that ease of access was one of the reasons it was so successful, as well as well, the feedback loop.
1: Anyone could play it, and what a lot of people don't realise or remember, is that Call of Duty 4 was actually quite the evolution of just base Call of Duty. Um... So it had all these things in. Like you'll you'll find contrarians like myself yeah, in on message boards going, "Call of Duty Two is the best multiplayer." Like, Shut up! Call of Duty Two is not the best Call of Duty multiplayer. But <laughs> Call of Duty Four, in and of itself, was very different to what came before. And like I say, the perks and the kill streaks, those were the keys because they and, and the uh, as I say, the metagame, the the ranking up, that underpinned it. Because you felt a level of ownership. Over what you did, and anyone could play it. So anyone could come in and spend ten minutes playing it after yeah. work and feel that they've had a good time. But it's, if you really wanted to play it, play it. You could really go for it, and you have all these builds and the loadouts and the and strategy, different and
0: prestiges, the, and just yeah, and ever-ending and the, ranks and that kind of thing. Well,
1: in those early days, I, you know, the, the rank next sure thing was was very important now no one cares like no one really gives a shit anymore like, oh you're 8th prestige great <laughs> but in those days especially when the day it came out you'd run into someone and you'd be like oh shit this guy's like a you know a captain level 2 or something and I'm still you know whatever gunnery sergeant and so you know it, the competitiveness wasn't just in that you wanted to shoot people uh it was in that you wanted to be higher ranked than them. You yeah. wanted to have better gear than them. You wanted to, you know, show everyone that yours was the right. You know, might makes right, basically. America, the game, fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I still love it, and the map design is, is some of the strongest in the entire series. I love Black Ops as well, but uh, if we're, it's a, it was very tight between Black Ops and.
0: I mean, I mean, I'm i not the biggest fan of Call of Duty, but I really do enjoy, enjoy jumping in. And the two that stick out for me as well are obviously Modern Warfare. It's one of the first games I played online for the PS3. I got a headset for it and I played a lot of it. Um, but I actually thought, same as you, uh, Black Ops was one of the best. And I think Black Ops is the best multiplayer out of the whole series. I do um, as
1: well, which it, is a bit strange, the considering I'm the, talking about yes Warfare, but, <laughs> but i, I just um, think the
0: map design in black ops was superb just you know you had the nuke town that's where Nuketown came from uh you had i forget the names but you had that awesome snow base on top of a mountain summit yep uh you had the sort of uh, like gorilla village with the two towers in the center yep um yep. just great levels just superb yeah. levels in black ops
1: Again, the aesthetic really tied into the uh, to what they were going for. Um, For reasons why we talked about loving Metal Gear Solid Three and Love Black Ops, you know, when uh, Robert McNamara turns up, turns up in both games. um, One of history's most uh, odious and interesting men, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think Black Ops I, I prefer, but in terms of. What game would I like to to take with me? I would take Modern Warfare again for a bit of the nostalgia angle, but I also really love its single player mode. Um that level shock and awe, the one with the nuke, you know, it's, as it's referred to now, the one with the nuke, is uh <laughs> is fantastic and that, that didn't really happen to players uh at the time. Like if you were the hero in your in your action game, you didn't die unless you died. The game didn't kill you, you know.
0: Yeah, the character very, ra-
1: very rarely did you get, you know, psychoed basically. And, um, yeah, and there's a, the best part about that entire level is when you rescue uh, the uh, the Cobra pilot, they have the uh, the commander saying, OK, well, you're going to fly in. And, you know, if you don't make it, you won't be at a minimum safe distance. And you get that bravado, as we know what we're getting ourselves into. And then, you know, the, the chopper pilot is fighting off. And you, you have to go through acts of what feel like heroism or as close as video games get to rescue that woman. And then it's all for naught as the bomb goes off, and you're looking out <laughs> the back of the the cargo, uh, the cargo uh, loader on the chopper. Yeah. And it, you know, suddenly you're like, oh shit! It's actually gone off, and you see the, the choppers that are closer to the explosion going down, and suddenly yours starts it loses its tail rotor. Absolutely fantastic uh, design. Of course, they they ran it into the ground about ten seconds later. <laughs> uh, but um but yeah a um it's now easy very easy to go oh call of duty shit call of duty blah blah but call of duty in, in fact is absolutely fucking brilliant it's just some of the iterations of it are poor and you just you're you're not sick of call of duty i don't think you're probably just a bit sick of fucking hearing about it <laughs> you know it's
0: it's like anything it's the same with assassin's creed as well as as much as i don't like the Assassin's Creed systems. I don't particularly like the combat or anything. It's more of, I am definitely sick of hearing people fucking bang on about it than I am anything else. Whereas with Call of Duty, I get sick of hearing about it and I don't particularly like the campaigns, but then I bought like advanced warfare and I played the multiplayer on PC for like God knows how many hours just because it it is good. The systems are good. The controls are good. It, It gives you that quick feedback, that fast action. And you can't deny there, there there is a reason the series is so big.
1: There's a reason it took over the world. Yeah, so, yeah. And that's that is why that's why I love modern uh, warfare. And you know, as uh, as an aside, uh, as you said, uh, Black Ops.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, we're going to move on to your next game, which is also another game about killing people, but in a in a little bit more of a different way. And it's also a game very personal to me because, like you, I was a tester on this game. So, yeah, so let's talk about the next game. Let's listen to some music and dive straight into it. next game on your list is the open world action based juggernaut developed by rockstar games and it was originally released for the playstation 3 xbox 360 on september 2013 following later came a ps4 and xbox one port and uh, a pc version that came later it was the first in the series to feature multiple protagonists and it reviewed incredibly well and received multiple awards which was really nice it's one of the highest selling video games of all time with over 60 million copies sold worldwide it's grand theft auto 5 steve Please tell me why Grand Theft Auto V is on your list.
1: Well, I know it's uh, kind of cool to hate GTA V in a lot of ways. Uh, but uh, I don't much care for its politics, uh, nor its gender representations in a lot of ways. But I love the world. And as a man who spends a lot of time in the fucking hellhole, which is Los Angeles, <laughs> um, they, they nailed that place so well that it, it, it's difficult to articulate really <laughs> unless you've it, it's the kind of thing that unless you spend a lot of time there you just don't pick up on those little Like, yeah you see the vinewood sign or you see the pier in santa monica and you you know you see all these things but it's not just that all the the level of, of micro detail to go along with the macro where you're walking down side streets in uh, venice beach i got lost in venice beach once um uh, which is not a great start to, to uh, <laughs> and it was about ten thousand degrees. and I actually thought I had sunstroke.
0: It's so a classic Brit abroad,
1: <laughs> and, and I'm wearing a button-down shirt <laughs> and all of this crap. Right,
0: I just want to get home and have a beer. Just <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So, and I, you know, i realised would taken a wrong turn, and suddenly, in in, a, in some of those areas around there, they've got very tight alleyways. And it, it's like the world changes between blocks, and America's very much like that. You, it's not like Britain. Like in America, you have poverty and grandeur literally step by side by side. I stayed at the Mondrian once, uh, which is on Sunset. It's, uh, it's an amazing uh, hotel. The thing called the Sky Bar, so you look out across all of like Los Angeles. It's a really nice hotel. I came out one morning to um, to go and buy. Uh, copy of fucking Rolling Stone magazine. That's how long ago it was. And there was a tramp, a homeless man outside, just sleeping by a bin. And it's like right next to the entrance. And so in America, (laughs) in in LA, there's not that... I don't think there's that distinction. There's not like... There are areas, so you have your Malibus and your Beverly Hills. But you do encounter a lot of poverty walking around in LA because it's just a giant mishmash of different things. It's a sprawl. Very much that prototypical... Urban sprawl and GTA 5 absolutely nails that. It nails that the, there's a feeling, there's something about the sunlight, and it sounds like crazy. There's something about because you're in the desert, everyone just forgets that about California. You're in the desert, it's just they happen to put a fucking road in there, and so you have this kind of this omnipresent heat all the time. It doesn't, you just get used to it, yeah. And everything has this orange hue, even when it's not that, you know, kind of sunset orange. It has this kind of heat haze going on all the time. James Cameron nailed that very well in, uh, in the opening of Terminator 2 yeah, uh, as well. And so, but GTA 5 gets all those details. So it's not just about, oh, here's the Hollywood side. It's about being on how dirty the streets are.
2: It's pretty,
0: uh, I don't always remember the first time I saw it and it was maybe two years before it got released. Uh, I remember seeing it and I'd watched like Californication and I'd watched lots of TV about LA or stuff based in California. And there's always a distinctive feel to California, uh, especially aesthetically. Like it's all concrete, gray, flat. And then yeah. it has, like, these, this just blaring sun over the top of it with a beach at the front of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember first time I saw GTA, like, floating around in, like, free cam, going around having a look. I remember just pulling out and seeing, like, all the sort of, um, I forget what they're called now, uh, irrigation, like, ditches
2: going yeah. through. And
0: they're all, like, that white, that plain white that they have to, like, soak up the heat of the sun and keep them warm and all that. Yeah. And just it nailed it. And nailed it so. And I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! It looks so like LA." It's and I just I couldn't get over for a few weeks how good it looked and how amazing that it recaptured the feel that when you watch certain TV programs that they give you about the place. Like it's a very distinctive place that doesn't feel like anywhere else. It's the same as London. London has a very distinctive feel to it as well. Yeah, and they nailed it, and I was just very impressed.
1: Yeah, it's. I think you're absolutely right there. With when it comes down to what Rockstar do, there is you know going back to the the Pez and FIFA thing is that it would be easy to just map out all of L.A. as it actually is. It'd be very easy to do that. You just take loads of shots uh, and then just lay it out. But when you do that, you get something that's more akin to true crime streets of L.A. So you get endless freeways going fucking nowhere, and you you don't what. What Rockstar do is they they take the things that you know, they take the things that they know that locals know, that insiders know, and they stitch them together in this. And this is why it's called Los Santos and not Los Angeles, uh, because they because the way it's stitched together, it's the LA which exists in your dreams, rather than the LA which exists in reality. Even if a lot of, there's a lot of overlap between those two, and so. Yeah. Yeah, you so I mean, in reality, you can't drive from Santa Monica to uh Sunset Boulevard in five minutes. <laughs> like you can't. It takes <laughs> thirty five minutes and you have to sit on the freeway and f- oh, it's an awful place. But in this it's again, it's everything you know, but there's those little gaps where you project your own you project your own travel log in there. Is that's what you're doing in GTA a lot of the time. You're going on holiday basically, because they make those worlds so well. And I went to I did my own little version of San Andreas uh, this year. So I flew to San Francisco to watch the Super Bowl. Um, not actually at the stadium, because I'm not that insane. But uh,
0: some people would think it was insane to fly all the way to America to watch something on TV.
1: <laughs> well, we we were offered tickets, but in the end, we turned them down because uh, they were $1,000. Whoa. But, uh,
0: yeah, no thanks.
1: Yeah. But um but yeah, so I flew to uh, San Francisco because my friend's uh, dad lives there. And then we drove down to Los Angeles down the coastal road. And then we went out to, uh, then we flew out to Vegas. So it's like a, a big holiday, basically. Yeah. And uh, some, some of the guys that we were with had only ever seen Los Angeles in uh, GCFO. <laughs> <laughs> and they were astonished by how close it was astonished yep. they uh they just they could not believe and and i do think that most of that is isn't down to the landmarks it's, it's to do with the ambience of the fucking place and uh yeah we would we because when we arrived we'd been 10 hours on that coastal road from san francisco in a fucking convertible like i thought we were gonna die basically <laughs> and uh we came in we didn't come to santa monica way which we should have done we actually came over through uh the canyons and um over and up through uh beverly hills uh so we were kind of kind of that sort of way and as we were going past the beverly hills hotel you know people were like oh shit that's like that's the richmond hotel from blah 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 and then we, <laughs> we came on to sunset and they're like and at one point uh the gps just jacked in the so we didn't know where we were well they didn't obviously but i was like oh i, I know where we are and as we were going down towards our hotel they're like so how far are we and i was like we see that building there and they were like oh yeah and i was like well that's your, that's one of the buildings you can buy in GTA online and uh they were <laughs> like oh yeah shit the one with the underground car park i was like yeah so we're just down the road you literally just follow it like this and they were like oh yeah i know where we
2: are <laughs> amazing so
1: what uh, what an amazing achievement uh but yeah again it succeeds where other games fail because it's not going it's not going for realism it's going for authenticity and those two things are sometimes confused
0: it's incredible because it's like my mum and my sister went on holiday to LA maybe last year and mm-hmm. just all the photos they took, I was like, that's in GTA. I worked, I looked at that for like three years. I art, sweat, that part of the map and just yep. every picture they took, I was like, that's from GTA, that's from <laughs> GTA. And it's incredible. And I've never personally been to LA myself, but I could definitely go there and know at least... My way around some areas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sure. The, the Sunset Boulevard uh area, like West Sunset, uh you definitely know it because that's that's pretty much mapped in the kind of like you no know, uh, the Saddle Ranch is there, for example. Saddle okay. Ranch is, is an infamous uh chop house which all the games journalists and industry people go to at E three. It's a shithole. But it's there. <laughs> so you can go in there and have a drink if you want. And there's there's other places like uh uh, there's a margarita place, like it's more like a stand sort of thing that's there. There's a uh, fast food place which looks like a uh, uh, like a, a train, like a train carriage. Yeah, which just yeah, that's there. Like I've eaten in that actual place. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, an amazing achievement, and uh, yeah, I yeah I, I can kind of take or leave the 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 rest of it, but just. I, I, I was going to
0: say, yeah. so we've not even spoken about the gameplay or <laughs> the story uh, well, or
1: anything. I mean, yeah, a lot. Of, uh, there's, a, there's, always a lot of talk about you know switching the characters and uh, ludonarrative dissonance and how that's uh, how Trevor makes it. And I, you know those things are interesting, but for the sake of why the game really resonates with me, it is it is the world. The world It's just so good, so good
0: superb well we're going to move on to another game that's uh, applauded for its world building and it's very sort of obscure way of telling the player what's going on so let's listen to some music and go straight into it So, Steve, the uh, second to last game on your list today is uh, the, sh- the sort of cult, now not cult classic developed from, from software and directed by Hidei Miyazaki. It's the sequel to the relatively unknown unreleased PlayStation 3 title, Demon's Souls. It's the action fantasy RPG that took the gaming world pretty much by storm uh, with the tagline, Prepare to Die. The game's challenging combat and gameplay appealed to a whole range of players. Since then, it's received two sequels and a spin-off with Dark Souls 3, just being released, and reviews from critics were massively favorable, and the game sold very well, making it a very commercial success for Namco Bandai and From Software. It's Dark Souls.
1: So this is one of the most beautiful games ever made, which is uh, which is part of this mo because it's meant to be. Uh, Miyazaki talked about how uh, you know he wants a certain elegance to the decrepitude of the world, and we talked earlier on about the sense of adventure in Metal Gear Solid Three. Yeah, well. Uh, Dark Souls has the, the, pretty much the biggest sense of adventure of any game I've, I've ever played. You are the you know the stranger in a strange land. The way the game and it, it, these are things that people always talk about. You know the way the game meets out its story and so. But with uh, you mentioned Demon Souls there. So when I worked uh, at Imagine, uh, there was uh, a chap called Ashley Day who was the he's now at Nintendo. He was the deputy editor of Games TM. Okay. And
0: oh, I he, didn't know uh, actually was the uh, deputy editor. Yeah, he does some really good work for Nintendo's social team, doesn't he? Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah very smart guy. Um, very switched on. And so he'd got this import copy of uh, of Demon Souls, right? And he was he gone mad for it. Like, like, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's it's so beautiful. And I, I tell you, I was one of these people. I laughed at him in the office, literally in his face. Like I was like, <laughs> you mean it's by the Armored Core guys? And he was like, yeah, but, and I was like, Ash, it's just another fucking Kingsfield game, mate. Get a grip. And everyone just laughed it <laughs> up and went, went back to playing Pez or whatever they did. Anyway, it turned out that he wanted to give it a 10. And um, and, I th- and everyone was like, no. <laughs> like, everyone just stuck their <laughs> role in. Because that, you know, like, there's a lot of tribalism that goes on in magazines like that where people like you've got people who are employed for in a lot of ways for being knowledgeable about games and sometimes that doesn't work out and so they all have very strong opinions on what they consider to be right and wrong etc yeah and and i think everyone just went it's not a 10 no one fucking played it but they just went come on now but we wanted to be sold on on his take on it and yeah. that was how you got these things through you you it's not like Polygon, I think, where they have like a or one of those sites have like a review board. It's a bit more informal than that. But if you're making a big claim about like a nine or ten rated game, then in a lot of ways you have to defend it because you don't want to get down the line and be one of those guys that gave you know ten out of ten. Yeah, or that,
0: t- that totally makes sense. It's yeah. it's almost like you could uh, play a game and you'd be like, oh my god, this is actually really good because it's refreshing and new. But you know, six months down the line, is it still the same? Is, yeah. What well, if you can't
1: convince. Us, how how you meant to convince your reader, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. So in the end, I think it went through, and I was like, right, give me a copy of this fucking game. Right. <laughs> anyway, so I took it home, and I played it until seven a.m. And Ooh. it was a weekend. It was a Friday, and I was like, right. So the night after, I was meant to be like hosting a house pie for the some industry guys and everything. <laughs> I played it till 7 a.m. and I was like, there's no way I'm making this thing tonight in my own house. <laughs> and uh, in terms of 3D space, this is what it does really well. Video games are, are said to be 3D, but they don't actually, what they mean is how it's presented. What What Demon Souls and what Dark Souls do really well is the interlocking spaces in in 3D. Uh, which makes it feel like an actual world rather than a set of streaming levels. Yeah. And so Demon's Souls was the first time since I played Super Mario 64 where I felt like uh, a, a sense of it being whole. So when you unlock the uh, uh, the shortcut and you come back outside the front where you started and you fought your way up and down that fucking castle <laughs> and then you open the door <laughs> and you realize, oh, I'm back here. Yeah. And it gives the world this incredible sense of, you know, tangible, a tangibility. And so, uh, and Dark Souls, and this is why I love it. So we won't really go into <clears throat> all the lore and all that bullshit because people love to talk about that. I can take it all you. I don't give a shit. I don't know anything about what happens in that game. I've got a clue. <laughs> but, um, when, I, there was a, a very specific moment when I, I realized that I would have given Dark Souls a 10 had I reviewed it, is when I went to Analondo. Yeah, which is a great moment for a lot of players. But before that, it was when I realised that I could see Filing Shrine from the uh, from Blighttown. And so, when you're trying to get out of Blighttown, and you're on the big water wheel that's going up and round, uh, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: uh, yeah, like a pulley system. Yeah, and then you look up, and you you're in hell basically. You're at the bottom, and then you look up, and you can see Filing Shrine, and you think to yourself, "I can get there." And it's, it's like- a real moment. It's like you can see the top of the mountain. You're like, I'm nearly there,
0: I'm nearly out.
1: That is
2: and,
0: you know, one of the most amazing things about Dark Souls is that it always gives you that sense. Whereas in video games, as you said, streaming levels, like, you, you know, you're like, oh, when I finish this level, there's going to be another challenge. Like, there's going to be another level that might be just as hard as this level. And it kind of puts you off going. Whereas when you get to that feeling in Dark Souls of knowing that once you get through all this, you're going to be back at a safer place it's almost like yes. clinging on to knowing that there's going to be some sort of relief soon enough and it pushes you through and, you, and you're just like, I'm going to keep going and I'm, I'm just making such good progress and I'll be safe again soon. And it's like, as you said, you're like in hell, climbing your way up that mountain.
1: It's yeah, it's a, a phenomenal achievement. I, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think you'll ever match it really. Uh, I love Bloodborne. I think Bloodborne is a fantastic achievement, but yeah, when I went back I, to Dark Souls. I,
0: I can't decide now between Dark Souls and Bloodborne. I thought Bloodborne well, I, was so good. They complement each other, I
1: I I feel. It's I feel like Miyazaki is one of the few directors uh that ha, that that feels like uh, a film director does like uh, I hate really the word auteur, but so we won't we won't use it in that sense. But you know what people are going for when they use the word auteur. And so <laughs> oh man, it fucks me off just to think about it. But like he had <laughs> He's like he has a like a body of work which have actual like themes and there's there's stuff going on in them, and that allows him to transplant one into another. Yeah. So when he's doing Bloodborne, it's a Souls game, but it's set in you know a, a gothic, a kind of a stoker Victorian uh, world, and which is why I felt when I went back to Dark Souls three that uh, I felt it was a bit greatest hitsy. It felt like. For, so if you take like a Martin Scorsese, for example, like yeah. a lot of his films have uh, a lot of themes about uh, religion and authority and uh, the underworld and, and all of that sort of, you know, the classic Scorsese things. But he's such a good director that he can, he can move those themes around, go and do films that aren't necessarily about them, but still say something about him and his worldview. Yeah, Mirzak is, is that talented. He, he's up there. But Dark Souls 3 just felt like, uh, you know, he's returning returning to something that he'd already done before. And I yeah. feel that it's almost a bit like Casino in that way, in that if Goodfellas, and I actually prefer Casino to Goodfellas, but if Goodfellas is, is the unofficial sequel, yeah. spiritual sequel to uh, to Goodfellas there. Um, but when you see Casino, you're like, oh, Joe Pesci's back and he's playing another hothead and he's fucking crazy. Oh, uh, sorry, uh, Robert De Niro is the very cool-headed, like, you know, he knows what he's doing, he's in charge, blah, blah, blah scorsese directing in a lot of very similar ways there's a lot of music being used all of that and it just felt if dark souls 3 to me felt like casino does to a lot of people where it's like oh he's already done this i want to see him go and do something else and bloodborne yeah. was that something else
0: well it's funny you say that because like I, i'm obviously in dark souls 3 now and i i absolutely love it i think it's i think it's amazing and i think it is because i already know Like, I'm going into it, and I already know. So I'm jumping into something that I'm expecting certain things. And because I've maybe took on these challenges before, I'm like, yeah, I'm just having to having a lot of time. When I die, I just sort of laugh it off because I know how how the game works and that kind of thing. It's like the starting area of Dark Souls 3 is like the starting area of Dark Souls. This very castle, skeleton, decrepit part. And then you move on to the next part, which is the Undead Settlement and uh, in dark souls 3 uh, and that's like bloodborne to yeah, me yeah yeah like you've got all the, this weird these weird horrible fat mages that are like throwing like dark spells at you that you know give you like blood damage and all this kind of thing and you've got these weird creepy little creatures running around at you and it feels exactly like bloodborne so it's almost going from like game to game like almost like taking levels from all the different souls games and putting yeah. them together, refining them a little bit, and being like, here, just just enjoy yourself. And that's yeah. all I'm, I'm having. Whereas when I played Dark Souls and Bloodborne before, I felt almost a little on edge at times. Yeah. I didn't know what to expect. Dark Souls, didn't forget Dark Souls too, because I just sort of lost something. Hmm. Um, but I always felt on edge. So I was always sort of nervous when I was playing it, which is amazing when I think about it now, that sort of how that element of emotion came out of me while playing a video game. But now when I'm playing Dark Souls, I'm not worried. I'm just having fun. Yeah. And I really, well, I, really enjoy it because of that.
1: Yeah. I, I can play, I really like Dark Souls 3. I gave it an eight. I just, uh, yeah, I just, it, it's saying something that a game of, of its patent quality, you, <laughs> you're, I, I was, I wanted him, or, uh, Every time I was playing, I was thinking, "I want him to now take these things and, and transplant them into into something else." Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the, to kind of sum up on Dark Souls, I absolutely adore it because it's got a uh, like a fully functioning world there, some a place that felt like it existed to use that old cliche before you arrived, and not only that is that. When people talk about hard, like, oh, they want an easy mode for Souls games. Now, I'm not really uh, elitist in what I think that games should be played on or how they should be played, and accessibility is a factor. But I do think that part of the joy of uh, Dark Souls, of these new areas, is the struggle of getting there. So that's a whole nother.
0: Dark Souls is built on a sense of achievement. Like, that game does achievement. So well, uh, whether it's reaching a new bonfire and you, and the animation that plays while you're yeah. while you're lighting a new bonfire, it's just so satisfying. That if it, was, or,
2: if it was if it was easy,
0: it it wouldn't be as good a game. It, and as you said, you know, not elitist anyway. And I want games to be accessible to everyone. But it's almost like if you took away that challenge, it just wouldn't be the ten out of ten game that it is. It'd, no, be a, so. it'd be like a seven it'd be a standard fantasy action combat game Yet yeah you'd be lording like the world is amazing it still has this interconnectivity to it and all that kind of thing but it's the 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 satisfying and uh, parts that make you feel that sense of emotion would just be taken out of it if it was too if it was easy
1: yeah no i i uh i 100% agree it's uh, it's just the feeling of adventure in that game is it, I don't I'm not sure it, it, it'll ever be beaten in a in well not for a while at least it's um yeah the, again the way the world it's got this kind of you know when Disney made that kind of run of fucking weird ass scary as fuck movies like Dark Crystal or whatever and you know in the uh, they made all these, where are you like, going with this <laughs> so they had all these movies that you know in the eighties or whatever. And labyrinth is like it as well. Yeah, where it, they, they they created these fantastic uh, worlds, which uh, which were just different enough from your own. Like you know, invariably you'd start in your own world, and then you go into the goblin king's. You know. Uh, universe or you know you'd run into the fucking woods or whatever happens and dark crystal it's been so long since they have seen it but they (laughs) have this this sense of like dread that underpins them but also a sense that you want to keep on exploring the world because it's so even though all the thing like the architecture is the same you know what skeletons look like you know what crypts and morgues and fucking everything looks like but they have this sense of that almost anything can happen and that is to me uh, Dark Souls like, takes... Well, people love Labyrinth, for example, because it's got David Bowie in it, right? And he's the Goblin King. But a lot of that movie is adventure. It's about going... You know, the scene where she has to choose from the various doors. And again, it's pure projection. It's a world that neither you nor the character know anything about. Yeah. And so you're going through it together. And that's and so that's what I love about Dark Souls. And in a lot of ways, it's very much like Resident Evil. It's, it's very difficult... Death is a part of it. Learning how to navigate the world is a key part of it. But again, it's you want to keep on going forward because the game is so well directed. You want to see what they've, uh, they've got next
0: to Fantastic. Well, as a huge proponent of Dark Souls being the great game, idea, it is for so many reasons. It's lovely to hear people talk about it in such a wonderful light. So we're yeah. going to move on to your final game now. And it's another Konami game. So let's listen to some wonderful music. I love the soundtrack to the next game. Uh, and then let's talk about it. So the final game on your list today Steve is another game published by Konami. Uh, easily the I best just game. Love Konami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly uh compared to the internet <laughs> who seem to not like Konami at the moment. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> this has been quite the Konami love letter really. It shows that you know once once in a blue moon Konami really pulled out the good stuff uh, various parts of the history. So this is easily the best is one of the most famous survival horror games. Um, it was originally released for PlayStation 2 in September of 2007 with a director's cut coming later for the PlayStation 2, Xbox, and PC. Uh, players take on the role of James Sunderland as he makes his way through the terrifying and monster filled ghost town of Silent Hill, all in the hopes of finding his dead wife. It's featured on many best-of lists, including best horror and best video game story. It's a superb game, and it's Silent Hill 2. Steve, please tell me why the final game on your list today is Silent Hill 2.
1: Yeah, so this, I think, is an obvious inclusion, really. Um, for me, at least, It's, it, I think it's the most adult game ever made. Uh, as in, it has uh, the themes that it, it, it explores are things that you just never... In video games, up to that point when it was released, was two thousand one, I think. You just you didn't really get that, you know. If you saw a game that was marketed as mature, it meant it had tits and ass and gore in it. There's uh, there's something about Silent Hill two that not necessarily replaying it because uh, in a lot of ways it has aged very badly indeed. But a lot of the themes in Silent Hill two get a lot more powerful the older you get, Um and it's uh, I don't. I didn't really love the original Silent Hill, and I don't really like the later ones. Although I did actually have a, a soft spot for Downpour. But what I love about the second one is that it's a very personal tale uh, about a man who who loses his wife, and it's got one of those. It's got one of the all-time great setups, um, which is uh, which immediately puts again you and the player in exactly the same place. Is that you may you're probably not grieving for the loss of your uh, partner, but receiving a letter from someone you thought was dead. I mean, as heroes journeys go, you know, that's, that's an amazing one. And, um, there's a, a certain upcoming big video game, which, uh, which does that as well. I'm yeah. sure you'll know in a few weeks time, but, um, <laughs> I can't say anymore, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it has this, uh, like dark souls. It has this grim elegance to it, this horrible, uh, faded world. And, it, Everyone, uh, if you are listening to this and you haven't played Silent Hill 2, don't listen to it anymore because you need to talk about the ending and the ending is amazing. Uh, well, unless you get the dog ending or the UFO one. But, um,
2: <laughs> but the dog ending. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I remember playing it uh, in 2001 being astounded by the ending where it's uh, or the ending i got where it's discovered that uh, james has uh euthanized his uh critically uh ill terminally ill wife and there's that um great moment at the end when you're with uh, is it maria uh, cameron diaz basically yeah and she's the vivacious kind of uh sexy um you know she's everything that uh, james's dying wife wasn't and that's part of his guilt that uh you know his wife is is dying and he's, you know... Thinking he's, of this he's, other person. Yeah, and he has all the all the people would uh, brush under the carpet and say needs. But yeah, he feels this guilt <laughs> for, for thinking about how, you know, this other woman who's exactly, yeah. looks exactly the same, but has all the, the things that he desires. And there's that great moment and it horrifies me, uh, just thinking about it, at the end where James comes to terms uh, with the fame. Because if you haven't played Silent Hill, the second one in particular is the town is... Uh, it is about existentialism so it's purgatory everything you encounter in it is a reflection of all the choices that you've made and in order to finally let go of the things uh that are haunting you literally and
0: uh, metaphysically it's essentially with, your own creation it's the you yeah know, it's, you have james to get is,
1: through it yeah yeah so and then at the very end of the of the ending i got james comes to terms with the fact that yes he he would killed his wife and yes uh, even though she was going to die, that wasn't, you know, he was arguing with himself whether he's actually doing a good thing or a bad thing. But he's finally allowed himself to move past that and to live in Silent Hill with Maria. And then as you, as she's walking away with him, she starts coughing, and he immediately realizes that that uh, recognizes the cough which started the illness in his wife. And he turns to her and says, "Are you okay?" And she says, "Yeah, I'm fine." And then it ends and so in that ending he's doomed to repeat the cycle over and over and over again there's one of the one of the uh, ultimate downer endings yeah in, in anything and it's but it, it's amazing in that regard that video games could could actually build an ending that good and not only uh, an ending that good but that everything that built up in the game in the world or the characters you met like i think angela and then there was eddie i think that guy all the things you do are building up to because you like here are piecing it together in your brain until the final revelations occur and then you have to make a choice and so it's a more it's actually also a reflection on yourself and it's phenomenal absolutely phenomenal it's just a work of art and it is basically just jacob's ladder um the game uh, if you've not seen jacob's ladder go and get go and do that right now um that's the best silent hill movie uh, ever made uh but that has one of the all time uh, great um not not necessarily well it does it does it has a, a twist ending which uh, makes Shia look like the fucking amateur that he is but it's a it's one of those <laughs> twist endings that that makes perfect it's not you don't feel like the rug has been pulled out from under you it just makes perfect sense in everything that's happened uh, in the world uh, and in the movie. And it's uh, it's actually, it's strange that the ending to Jacob's Ladder is uh, what some people would consider a downer ending, but it's actually one of the most uplifting and euphoric endings to any movie I've ever seen. And Silent Hill, uh, in a lot of ways, gets some of that across Silent
0: Hill too. Okay, I've never seen Jacob's Ladder, so I'm going to have to watch it, aren't I?
1: Yeah, I'm, yeah, I don't want to uh, to spoil it for you if you've if you've not seen it, but you watch it, and a lot of the um, a lot of the things that Silent Hill uses are, are taken almost directly um, from that movie. And uh, but yeah, that movie has a, a like a stunning internal logic to it, a, a through line which which drags you through it, even when some of the movie doesn't quite work. There's this weird scene where Jacob keeps on seeing these lizards in his apartment. <laughs> Like big, like Hunter Thompson, like uh, Fear and Loathing at yeah, the Bar <laughs> Lizards. Yeah, um, when I'm watching it, I'm always wondering if he's going to get asked for some golf shoes or something. But um, yeah, it is um, it is a fantastic movie. And I think it's one that is kind of like a cult classic. People people have heard of it, but they haven't really seen it. But if you watch it, you'll uh, you'll see exactly where the Silent Hill 2 team in particular uh, were coming from and what they were, what they were building. It's uh, an amazing movie. Let's just check it out
0: fantastic well considering we weren't sure how this list was going to go and it, it took you a while to get these games down you sure you've sang these games praises really well really well
1: yeah sometimes i do like video games but it did take me a while
0: (laughs) you're gonna have to go to the shower now and wash all the dirt off aren't you
1: (laughs) i'm gonna look out the window in my games room and just just stare for hours just (laughs) the whiskey in my hand throw in the fireplace
0: what have i done today what have i done
1: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean it's uh it yeah, it took me a while to do uh, to come up with the list because, and there were a few games that, that went in and and, and got sorted out. And if there was one game I wish I'd actually talked about, it'd probably be um, probably be Doom, which I consider to be Metallica the game. Um, I was at the uh, just a little bit on Doom. I was at the BAFTAs uh, games BAFTAs and uh, John Carmack got his fellowship,
2: yeah. and
1: he came out and uh, there's was a VT beforehand and it had these luminaries and the great and the good and the not so good from video games development and uh, journalism. And what have you? And a lot of people were saying, "Oh, he's done this and that." And talking about Doom, and they were all like valid points. But the thing that uh, the only person who I think really got to the core of what Doom is was David Braben, who, of course, being a fucking genius himself, yeah, um, he said what Doom did. Then it's easy to forget what it did then and, and just concentrate on the aesthetics. Of what Doom did amazingly well is that it was fast, and 3D wasn't fast in those days it was cripplingly slow but doom was fast and that's why i like to say it's the best metallica game ever made like it starts <laughs> with the riff you know doom e1 m1 it's like it starts with the riff from uh is it no remorse from the album yeah. Kill 'Em all basically and um oh man and you just like the gunshots are drum beats, basically in that in that analogy where it's like you know um uh, it's like thrash metal. Just, yeah, it is. I was going to say it's game. just
0: like thrash metal. Yeah, it's like fast and and just yeah. like continual fast paced and all these sound effects going off that sound so metal. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's Doom. Uh, Doom is, Doom is an amazing achievement, um, both technically and uh, artistically. Which is why I don't think the the new Doom game will get anywhere near it. I don't like. I don't think they can. Have you Have you played it yet? I've only played the the multiplayer. I've not played the um the single player
2: portion
1: but but yeah so uh, yeah it took me a while to come up with the the list mainly because there are even though i like a lot of games and have like loads and loads of games there are very few games that i actually care about in order to really like unpack them or think about them in any way above and beyond i like shooting people or (laughs) i like i like playing civilization that sounds really wanky to say but you know, you play Civ four, you play Civ five, Civ six, whatever. You know, when you play that, it's, it's Total War. I worked on a Total War game. I think they're incredibly well crafted. I just don't care much to really think about why or, or how that is, basically, because I'm not that involved. So there's a few games that I uh, that I care about enough to even you know think about like that. So
0: yeah, that, that's that is they. Well, fantastic! Thank you so much for joining me. Steve, it's been awesome to talk to you about these games. And uh, the last question um, I ask the soon to be shipped away uh, Mm. in your case to the resident evil mansion. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see how long you, uh, let's see if you can even get a playthrough of resident evil done while all the stuff that's happening (laughs) in that mansion is going on. Um, So the final question is uh, if you could choose one console, Uh, taking in consideration the back catalogue of that console, you're not allowed a PC. um, So you get these eight games that you've chosen. But also, if there was one console, including the back catalogue, that you could take with you, what console would it be? Xbox 360. That was easy.
1: (laughs) Easy. People say SNES. I've got a big nostalgic love for Mega Drive. Um, PS4 is also... I think, really good it's as well. It?
0: It's certainly getting there. It's getting to PS2 levels of good, I think, the PlayStation 4 is. But
1: the Xbox 360 was that machine which kind of, in a lot of ways, I think it's Dreamcast 2. It took what Sega were going with, uh, the internet stuff, the, um, the you know, loads of stuff that Sega were, were getting at, I think, was actually fully realized in the, uh, the Xbox 360. It's uh, a machine that's very close to my heart. I mean, it lasted for so long. That was abnormal.
0: Only event. just it's, last week has it ended production. Yes. So
1: and, 10 uh, years. It's still out in my games room. It's right in front of me now in the little entertainment center thing next to the PS4. It's um, a great machine, but not just not just in terms of the games, but in terms of what it did for how games are made, uh, what it did for gaming as a whole, connectivity, store frontage, online multiplayer, all of those things. And so... Yeah, I love it for that, uh, for that reason. So that's why I take it. Well, you can take the Xbox 360 with you
0: and whatever games yep. you want from that collection, as well as the other games to play, yep. but only those games. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me, Steve. Um, is no, there any way you'd pleasure. like people to check out your stuff or check out video gamer stuff?
1: Yeah, if you uh, check out uh, videogamer.com, um, uh, check out our YouTube channel, which is definitely uh, video do. Yeah, of Video TV. And, uh, and yeah, follow at the Steve Bernier if you'd like to see some rampant cynicism.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can attest, I can attest to that
1: with a sideline and good jokes about May 9.
0: It's funny because, uh, actually the other day on Twitter, Steve actually did follow me back. And, uh, I was thinking, fuck, do I have to be cynical now? (laughs) Shall I I curve my positivity from now on?
1: I was convinced that I've uh, that I've been following you for a while, but <laughs> you know, you know when people say, "Oh yeah, Twitter unfollowed me." I always used to think that was bollocks. Like that's just such like it's an algorithm, yes. But yeah, but then because like, I saw you tweeting about the thing with Matt. Oh no, Matt had retweeted it, and I was like, "Wait a minute, I should be seeing this from the source." And I was like, "Shit!" <laughs> it's Going to take <be> the biggest <laughs> fucking weapon in the
0: world. <laughs> I was like, "Finally, <laughs> senpai noticed me." <laughs> <laughs> well so, thank you so much for joining yeah definitely definitely I, I'll be, obviously listeners of the show will know I had Simon Miller on not that long ago um Video Gamer TV easily one of the best YouTubers out there so pl- definitely do check that out um if you liked today's episode and if you want to know more about the show, you can also follow me on Twitter at LeeMBME. Uh, you can follow the show at Final Games Show. And if by any chance you wanted to email me for any reason, you can email me at at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, all those lovely things. Also, we have that little thing called a Patreon uh, that people keep asking me about. Uh, it's up there now. It's patreon.com forward slash Games. So thank you so much for joining me and I hope you enjoyed this episode. And thank you so much to Steve for coming on and I hope to see you next time.